Hello, welcome to Solo Voice, a podcast series designed to help you master change within. Millions of people around the world are now awakening to the fact that changes in your life begins with changes in you. In Solo Voice, I share with you my experiences, thoughts and ideas that I have formed from my experience of helping people from all walks of life. So today, as you listen to this podcast, you may discover something that might help you make a real change in your life. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the mindset, a way of thinking that will empower you further to master and learn human behaviors even more easily. A lot of time people come to me uh, who are curious to learn NLP and they ask me questions like, how do I identify what kind of a person he or she is? How do I, what are the different categories of people uh, that NLP considers? And they're expecting me to give them a cheat sheet, a, a list of categories and uh, how to identify which person fits into what category and when i get a question like that it tells me something about the person asking that question it tells me about their way of thinking they are thinking as if there are baskets of categories and they want the convenience and simplicity of taking an individual and putting that person into any of those baskets if that were possible that would be amazing but there are countless fields, countless fields in the world today which make that mistake of hardcore categorization of people. And I call it a mistake because it comes in the way of mastering human behaviors. It comes in the way of understanding how people think. And in a moment, in this podcast, I'm going to share with you why. And I'm also going to share with you a different approach, an approach that would drop boundaries, an approach that would allow you to even further understand how people think. So sometimes why people ask questions like this is because of their prayer training. There are different fields in the world that enforce categories around people. Some forms of astrology, some forms of uh, therapy, where it says, is he an emotional person or is he a thinker? As if people are objects which have properties that don't change. Traditional wisdom actually says otherwise. We have countless stories from our history about people who have exhibited different attitude and different uh, ways of thinking in different contexts. For example, there could be a person, Alex, who's extremely confident when it comes to maybe riding the bike. He's a very confident person. But the same Alex might have fears when it comes to relationship. He might, when approaching a new person or getting into a social gathering, he is not so confident. And the same Alex, when he's talking to people he's comfortable with, is very confident. He is uh, having mannerisms that uh, show that he's composed and so on. So I'm, I'm portraying a character called Alexia, who you cannot put into a category called confident or timid, simply because in different contexts, in different situations, he is going to exhibit a different behavior. 
This is true about every possible trait on planet. If you consider yourself flexible, then challenge it and ask yourself the question, what are situations where you are stubborn and where it is good for you to be stubborn? I had a girl who walked into my clinic once and she told me, Antonio, help me say no. I can never say no. I said in a very funny tone, you liar. <laughs> of course you can say no. And she, she looked straight at me and she said, no, I can't. I said, well, of course you can. And I'm going to demonstrate to you that, that you can say no. Can you not? And she said, no, I can't. She's just demonstrating to me what she says she can't do. So I would rephrase her statement saying, well, I can say no in most situations. But when it comes to my friends asking me for a favor, I cannot say no. You see, those two are very different statements. The first statement, I can't say no, is a valuation at the identity level, which means she is making a comment about herself as an individual across every context. The second statement, where I made it more specific and included counterexamples, is where now we are contextualizing her challenge. Consider somebody who's trying to learn to play the keyboard and this person is playing the keyboard and he's frustrated at the speed at which he is learning. He's trying to learn it and somehow the rhythm doesn't set in. The fingers are all acting tricky and he's frustrated at that moment. And he says something like, I'm a, I'm a slow learner or I'm a poor learner. Consider what has that person just done. He has given himself a post-hypnotic suggestion. It is true that he may be a poor learner of the piano or the keyboard, but he isn't a poor learner of everything in life. If he was, then he wouldn't have learned to walk, he wouldn't have learned to talk, and he wouldn't have learned the things in his life that he's learned with these. So that's a classic case of how the person is building a self-limiting belief that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy by taking something that is happening in a specific context. In that case, in that example, the case of playing a keyboard and the person is making it into a generalization as if that's the way the person is in every aspect of his or her life. This is the same kind of thinking that people bring to the table when they ask me questions like what are the categories of people, how do we classify them, how do we, how do we identify which type of a person he is. Every time I hear questions like that, I'm like, there's a lot more to teach this person before they can learn NLP properly. I would appreciate a question like, how do I understand the behavior of a person in a specific context? Now you see, in that way, you're not making an evaluation of the individual incomplete, but you're making an evaluation of the individual in specific contexts. I mean, think about this. I have known kids, students, who perform very poor in one school. You take them out of the school and you put them in another school, and suddenly they're performing very well. Now, it doesn't mean the former school had poor teachers or poor methods of education, but there's something in the context that's making a difference to this child. Now, you can go find out what it is, or you can just go ahead and use that knowledge to your benefit. And this is true about a lot of things. So, if somebody is not studying well and you say he's a poor learner, 
instead of saying okay this year in this specific subject in this specific school this person is unable to learn this subject then what you are doing is you're killing the opportunity for the other person to find contexts where they can behave differently and two you're limiting your ability to master human behaviors so when people ask me how do i understand people better my first response to them is drop all categories maybe you have read a self help book maybe you read a book like how to read a person like a book maybe you read a book that talks about you know people are on either parent or adult or a child stage or whatever or you've read a book that allows you to what they call profile people into what kind of a person someone is those all could be guiding tools to focus your attention to specific traits as a crutch like when a girl who's very young learns to ride a cycle she has two side wheels that support the cycle but as soon as she learns to find her own balance she needs to get rid of those side wheels so that she can go by herself so if you learn categorizations from the past consider them as crutches as something that is allowing you to focus your observation to specific things but as soon as you're able to pay attention to things that tells you more about the person then i recommend dropping all categorizations and observing this person without putting a category around them it's okay as a crutch if you want you put a category around the context so instead of saying he or she is a poor learner you could say if you want to he or she is a poor learner in this specific activity when taught by so and so person So the way to train yourself to become better at understanding human behaviors is challenging your own observations and inferences. I tell people in my workshop that almost all assumptions of people that people make start with a very precise observation. Yes, you heard it right. People who make assumptions and inferences that are mere assumptions always have a observation to back it up for example i met this lady who said that i know my husband is lying to me and i said how do you know that and she said because when i'm talking to him he's looking down you see the observation there looking down the inference there he is lying to me so fortunately for her I I asked her about her days in their early days when she believed he's telling the truth and she spoke about how even during the wedding day the conversations they had it felt so honest and genuine and I said can I watch the videotape of what happened on the wedding day and as she showed me I pointed out to her how he was looking down even when she was talking to him then now suddenly that inference is changed it no longer means that if he is looking down he's lying so in this case i found an counter example for her for her inference which allowed her to understand and appreciate what is going on with her husband in a much better way now for you if you want to try in yourself to become better at understanding how people think and their respond then i request you to do the following every time you're talking to someone or interacting with someone or you read about someone and you make a inference you make a judgment you say in your head he or she is this kind of person i want you to hunt down for counter examples to that inference honestly so every time you make a judgment call 
go and find out counter examples to that and it'll allow you to do something very important it'll allow you to accomplish something very important when you search for counter examples you will find them and when you find counter examples something will happen you will discover that there are contexts and situations where what you thought about this person is completely true and you will also discover there are contexts and situations where whatever you thought about this person is not so accurate but this person has a different response in that situation for example if you think that someone is always late challenge yourself say okay what are the contexts and situations where this person is not always late what about catching a flight what about catching a train i'm just giving you an example but i'm sure you will find others if you say this person is very regular then challenge yourself what are the contexts where this is not true you see the approach of nlp is a black box approach that what this means is that when john and richard started exploring human behavior they were very clear about where their focus is the consciousness that emerged as a combination of your body and mind and they treated this as a black box then they're studying consciousness other than the consciousness awareness and so on they treated these behaviors and responses as a black box in the engineering field black box means that you don't know what is inside the box but you do know how the box functions so for example you have a mobile and you know that this is the power button if you press this button it turns on if you press this button it turns off if you dial uh, these numbers and press this specific button it's going to make a call if you press this specific button it's going to end the call you may not know what are the circuits what are the diodes what are the integral components that make up this mobile you don't need to to use the mobile you treat it like a black box like you don't have to know what is it made of you just need to know that if you repeat these steps on the outside the mobile is going to function in a specific way each time that's called the black box approach and neurolinguistic programming wasn't the first field to come up with the black box approach a lot of fields came up with the black box approach they said okay you can consider a human being as a model of da 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 and on such and such stimuli these are the responses however neurolinguistic programming has been the first and one of the few fields that makes a distinction in the black box approach two primary distinctions the first distinction that neurolinguistic programming came out with is that if you construct a black box model stimuli and a response and even if it is true for 3 or 4 other people you will always find another person who doesn't fit into that specific model so as a guiding principle john and richard decided that whenever something like that happens they're going to expand the black box model or add another model that will fit the person they're evaluating instead of fitting the person into one of the models they already have not many fields can proudly make that claim the framework of most fields are fixed you have to fix a person into one of the categories they have defined the neurolinguistic programming approach is different yes there are some classifications and you will meet exceptions and when you meet an exception create a new model that's the guiding framework of neurolinguistic programming 
and this allows for the practitioners to expand the field and also their knowledge and also be precise and effective at every single individual. Let's say you're meeting five people and all of them fit into one of the models that are already constructed. And you're meeting a sixth person and this person doesn't fit into any of the model. What do you do? You need to have the skills necessary to create a black box model for this person, which is most appropriate and represents this person properly. Which means more than the skills of putting one person into this category or that category, neurolinguistic programming insists on your ability to create the models on demand, to create new black box models for every individual. So this is very important distinction because the focus here is on the practitioner's skill to code a person's behavior each time. Remember, even if you have to just see if a person fits into a specific model that is already established, you still need the tools of coding. So as a neurolinguistic programmer, more than learning the categories of where people fit into, you learn how to map the basic units of how people respond and to be able to do it with each individual every time you have an interaction. This is the basic difference. So we move away from categorizations to an on-demand skill of understanding the other person's model or their way of thinking. So I'm not saying categorization is entirely bad. There are a lot of times I enjoy reading books that have specific categories, which I indulge in for that moment. What categorization allows you to do is it trains you to place your attention on specific behaviors of people. But as soon as I picked up that skill, then I get rid of the categorization completely. I erase it from my mind. I act as if I've never read that form of categorization. And this allows me to develop powerful intuitions about people. It allows me to train myself further and go beyond. Because in the exceptions is the fun. <laughs> yeah, because every time I work with somebody, there is something new about that person that definitely hasn't been mapped down before. And that's where I have my fun in working with people. I explore different people, the different skills and ways of thinking. It's amazing. It's just another level of enjoyment to notice how different people are. It makes me wonder the beauty of the universe in so many people with similar neurology but different forms of thinking. The second distinction that was baked into the framework of neurolinguistic programming is that the same person may and will have a different response to the same stimuli based on the context at that moment. The same person will have a different response to the same stimuli based on the context and based on their emotions at that moment. This is simple to understand. The decisions you make are going to be different when you're angry and the decisions you're going to make are going to be different when you're very excited, even if the same information is provided to you. So how can one ever fit a human being into a model? So what neurolinguistic programming also proposes is that you're able to not only identify the differences in an individual's behavior to the models you have, but you're also able to identify the differences in their own behaviors in different situations. 
which means for the same stimuli, for the same input, you're constructing different models in different situations. Those are very two important distinctions that one needs to inculcate in their thinking to become a good practitioner of neurolinguistic programming as well as to understand human behaviors in more detail. Now there are two benefits to doing this. One is the obvious, the obvious benefit of understanding people better, being able to influence them in more ways because now you precisely know how they influence themselves and how they think and so on. And for some of you, it might look like too much work. You might be thinking, oops, how am I going to remember or pay attention to so many variations from the same person and have different methods and models for different people. I meet so many people. I meet them in so many different occasions. The good news is you don't have to always do it and you don't have to continuously do it because when we make habits of things, they become unconscious. There was a time when you learned to walk, when your full attention, I'm sure, was on the pressure you were feeling on your hip and in the legs. When you were about to take the first step, your entire world is around making that single step forward. Today, you can be on a phone, you can be lost in your thoughts and you can walk because it's become a part of you. In the traditional neurolinguistic term, this is called a tote. What it means is that there is an automatic trigger that gets you to walk and then you know to do that operation without any conscious effort. So what you're hoping for is for this skill to become a tote, for your ability to observe and differentiate the behaviors of different individuals in different situations to become a tote which means you're not doing it consciously any longer. And for that to happen, you need to train yourself to do it consciously first. So allocate some time every day, maybe for one week, one hour a day, and maybe watch a reality show on the TV and predict who is going to get excited next. Predict the nonverbals, mute it up. So one way to train yourself is allocate one hour every day for a week and choose a reality show and mute it and watch a show where they show all the audience together. And now you notice behaviors at a very sensory level, which means you notice on what gesture of some individual is the other person going to get excited or what gesture of someone is going to get someone else to relax. And once you have found, okay, so this person behaves in this way on such stimuli, find counterexamples to that. And then ask yourself, what's the difference? When does she behave this way? When does she behave that way? And by doing so, what you're doing is you're enriching your map of this person. How is this important? You're not even going to meet this person. It's important because if you do this for a week, then it's going to become a thought. It's going to become a part of the way you observe, think and move around the world. And then you no longer have to do it that way you would have developed strong intuitions. All of this would have developed into a toad and the result of that is you have powerful intuitions. You meet somebody and way before, way before something happens, you know what's going to come next. And that is a very, very powerful skill to have. Very, very useful skill to have. No matter what profession and context you're in, it gives you the two-second advantage to know things before they happen. A lot of times people ask me, 
Well, how did you know what was in my mind, what I was going to ask next? What is going to be my question? And I say, well, I just have a very well-trained intuition. I did some hard work of observing people methodically and training myself to look at it without filters. What I mean by filters here is without bringing my previous learning of these are the categories and these are the types of people. And when I allowed that information with its purity, without being distorted by my inferences to go inside and to verify it based on an ongoing feedback, something powerful happened. I developed strong intuitions. Intuitions that allows me to know what is going on, what a person is going to do, even before that person knows they're going to do that. So that's the advantage that you will have once you go ahead with this model and this kind of framework of thinking. The second biggest advantage is this. When you refine your thinking to not make judgments on individuals, but to make inferences only on individuals in specific contexts, you will extend that courtesy to yourself as well. The next time you're talking about something that you're not good at or something that you're learning very slowly, you wouldn't make the blunder of saying, I'm a slow learner or I'm a, I'm a dumb person. But rather, he will say instead, well, in that particular thing, I need more help to learn. That's very different from saying, I need more help to learn anything. Because when you start extending this courtesy to others, it's going to extend back to you in your own thinking. You're going to look at yourself as a different person in different contexts. And that will allow you to give yourself precise feedback. So if you need more help in learning to play the keyboard, that is true, that's an honest feedback. So then you will go and find the resources you need to learn the keyboard easily. And if you don't need more help to learn cooking, then you'll enjoy learning cooking by yourself. Instead of giving a post-hypnotic suggestion that would limit your cooking as well. So the other benefit of finding counter-examples to the inferences you make is that you also become a more useful hypnotist, giving post-hypnotic suggestions to your own self. A better programmer to your own self. Gregory Bateson, a genius who I admire, once said, difference is the basic unit of intelligence. He proposed the more distinctions the more differences there are that a person is able to notice, the more evolved is his or her skill in that field. A musician hears slight variations in notes that someone who's not a musician who didn't pay attention to. An artist sees differences in minor shades of colors that may appear the same to a person who's not an artist, and so on. What I'm proposing in this podcast is that you give yourself a framework like me that empowers you to make more distinctions in your observations of human behaviors. So as you give yourself this opportunity and continue to evolve further, continue to enjoy life fully and continue to grow blissfully. This is Antonisola John signing off and I'll meet you in my next episode very soon.